what's next yeah just just think about what the next thing is and and if if there's a way that you can open up your mind to something new and exciting then do that for sure yes so I think just the question of what's next and who are the people in your life that can help you to get to the next bit I think that's really key I think community is really key I think women and community is really key um, because there's a shared understanding and I think just find your tribe find the people that lift you up that you can lift up do the work on yourself but try to make it not too heavy try to play with it and try to be kind to yourself as much as possible Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Boomer women. Are we wise women? Are we mavens? Are we crones? Hell yeah. And we're also still curious, fun-loving, interesting, the list goes on. This podcast is for you. My guests are folk who have a message for our demographic. And if you want to hear a specific message, let me know and I'll find the guests. This podcast is also a conversation. We women know its value, we know how to do it, and we must perpetuate the art form. I try and let my guests have the greater say, and usually we fit in a good laugh or two. Listen in now to today's guest. Welcome to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. Today's guest seems to be a younger version of our boomer demographic. Thou shalt be married and be a great wife. Thou shalt have children and be a great mother. Amy was fortunate to have a career option, but that wasn't turning out as great as expected either. And then she rebuilt her life. Her bio reads, fast forward five years and I am now a happily divorced, imperfect mother, as well as being a life coach for kick-ass women. I am also head of HR at a financial education charity empowering young people. I am the founder of my own theater company. I'd say she's a kick-ass woman. I think she might have some great tips for us as we write the story of this chapter of our lives. Because here's another excerpt from her bio. Amy is a deliciously flawed, complex, and wonderful human being who supports other deliciously flawed, complex, and wonderful human beings to live their best lives. Amy Eubank, welcome to the Deliciously Flawed, Complex, and Wonderful Boomer Woman's podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I've been looking at your website, and uh, I really like the angles you work from, so this is going to be interesting. Me too. Amy, you talk, you talk about story. You held a story in your head about having the perfect job, the perfect home, the perfect marriage, being the perfect mom. Was that story fed to you as a young person or did you create that story for yourself? So a bit of both. I think there's, you know, there's societal stories that we are told about how we should operate in the world and what our purpose is, particularly as women. I've done a lot of work with women uh, and I work exclusively coaching women. Um, and you see the patterns come up again and again. I was brought up in quite a traditional household in the sense that it was a kind of nuclear family. Um, 
my mum did bits and pieces, but was mainly a stay-at-home mum. Um, and which is, I now know from being a mum, the toughest job in the world. So it's like at the time, you know, you have that phrase, don't you? And that's another story as well. You know, this idea of the stay-at-home mum. There's something slightly, there's a damning nature to to that kind of phrase. Um, you know, I know there's alternatives like homemaker and things like that, but you know, there there are there are certainly stories that I grew up with around what I expected that I would fall into, you know, a house in the country and all those sorts of things. And actually that isn't how my life has gone. But there's also obviously societal stories around what we think as women we are able to achieve and where we think we fit in the world and how we measure our success as well. You know, I grew up in the 80s, so I watched lots of uh, Disney films and, you know, those are amazing films. Even now I rewatched The Little Mermaid for the first time the other day. That is uh, really very questionable in many ways, that film. <laughs> but at the time, it's an amazing story, you know. Ariel is, is very, very sexualised. And there's a lot of it that is, uh, to adult eyes, looking at it as a kid's film, you think, my goodness, that's, that's something else. But at the time, you just, but of course, you're fed these stories around what women are and what women can be. And a lot of the time, that's being a foil to a man. That's being, you know, falling in love falling in love is the ultimate thing and of course it's very nice but I wouldn't say it's the ultimate thing so yeah it's a combination of both I would say to answer your question for sure. Well and just to go back to what you were saying about homemaker etc I remember that the comment of oh you don't work then. Right right oh my goodness yeah (laughs) you got the hardest of everybody it's like I remember when I had my son and I just I all I wanted was to actually be back in a kind of office environment you know I was really I was really kind of jealous of that being able to go to to work because when it was very little I was with him all the time and I remember thinking oh my gosh no one tells you it's quite like this like you you it's you think of this motherhood is a really good example of a story that we've been told you know we've been sold a story of what motherhood is like and it really is it was nothing like I thought it was going to be that's for sure. Yeah. And I think the TV and media, even in my day, really supported that stay at home, beautiful. She wore dresses and high heels all day and everybody was beautiful and lovely and perfect. And it's like, yeah, what? Sure. I know. And of course, you're there with sick on your boob and, you know, all (laughs) of the stuff that comes with being a stay at home mum. You're so tired, you know, all, all of all of that. And it's very challenging. And actually, uh, yeah, it's the hardest job in the world. So we, there's definitely some reframing that needs to happen around that. <laughs> We've just taken a whole bunch of listeners down and really, oh, I'd force them. Force them to that part. <laughs> You don't need to go back there. Let's not think too, too deeply on it. <laughs> now, our audience is mostly boomer women. And we grew up with lots of expectations that we've just been talking about. And we also had narrower storylines about the potential of girls and women. Where does a woman, where do you feel a woman's story primarily comes from? You've touched on home a little bit. And, And what is the connection between story and our life choices? Like, do we really follow it that closely? Yeah, I think... In terms of story and our life choices, I think one of the things that's so interesting in the work that I've done with women is that our brains are drawn to story. So we have a predisposition to think in story terms. 
And what that means is that sometimes there might be a situation where we want things to be neat and we want things to be tidy and we want them to have control over them. And, you know, this A happens, which leads to B, which leads to C. Only life isn't like that. So you can be searching for a story and a neat narrative because actually all your brain is trying to do is look after you. So it's not a bad thing. But sometimes those stories really serve you. You know, you might think, right, I'm going to achieve, I'm going to start this business, I'm going to do this thing. And you can think, right, this is where I started it. This is the middle bit. This is where there was a challenge. And then I got it and it worked. But most of us know that life isn't like that. It's really squiggly and you end up going in different routes and different directions. So, but our clever brains, which are amazing, are doing a lot of looking after us all the time, whether that's kind of us going into fight and flight mode or whether that's, something like story as a structure to be drawn to. So I think there's that piece around, you know, the neurology and the way that the brain works. And that's sort of something I won't go into kind of in detail now. And also I don't know a huge amount about it because I'm not a scientist, but from the very kind of uh, top level region that I've done, it's been very interesting to look into that. And remind me of your other question, I'm sorry. um, And I think you touched on it earlier, but just does our story primarily come from I asked you where it came from, but I guess the options are like family, society, media. Yeah. Yeah. So media is a really interesting one. And one of, I used to be an actor in my, in a past life when I, when I first sort of, so I came out of uh, drama school, went to Lambda, which is one of the big drama schools in the UK, graduated, ready to go, you know, wait for the agent to call. And, you know, most people that are jobbing actors know how that how that pans out, unless you're very lucky. So there's a lot of kind of waiting and, and wanting to kind of work in, in that way. But unfortunately, you know, as I said, life doesn't go like that. But because of the fact that there was a story around what I thought my life would be like, and the media is a really good example in the sense that one of the reasons I actually left the acting profession is because I found that a lot of the stories that I was involved in telling as an actor were not very positive about women. So I was reinforcing stereotypes. And obviously, if you do certain plays from the canon, you know, classic plays, then they're not going to be particularly positive. But even with a lot of the new writing that I was working on, I was thinking, hmm, this is very interesting. Like, what's happening in these stories? So Either I might have been in my underwear without any reason to have been in necessarily, or it might have been, you know, sexual violence for the sake of sexual violence. And a lot of that happens on television shows. You know, if you watch dramas, if you start to keep an eye out for it, then you think, hmm, was that gratuitous scene there that was actually quite violent towards a woman? Did that move the story on? Or was that for the sake of using, they call it, I think they call it fridging, Um, in comic book terms where you use a woman's body as a device to move a story forward now you could say that you would do that in you you could do that in lots of stories you could say you do it of a man's body but it's much more likely to be that women's bodies are kind of used as a as a kind of a vehicle and an uh, an obstacle and things that aren't necessarily paramount to the narrative but these things just happen repeatedly And once you start seeing that in advertising or in television, and it's a much better than it used to be, but once you start seeing it, it's very hard to unsee it. So, you know, when I'm on the tube now and I see uh, in London, I go down the underground and see the posters and how the women are portrayed and how the men are portrayed. And it's, you know, 
there are definitely narratives that we are constantly being fed all around us. And I did hear someone say actually that trying to tackle some of these issues around gender and representation is like gardening in a gale because it's impossible. You can't, there's only so much you can, you can do because it just keeps coming. I'm stunned by what you said about using women's bodies to move the story along. This is a whole other subject that we will not go into, but one question is, is that because many of the writers are men? Yeah, um, many of the writers are men, but also a lot of a lot of women might write with those tropes just because it's what we learn. Do you know, like, I unless, again, unless you've kind of unseen it, unless you've kind of realised, because a lot of it's so subconscious, I might write something and then afterwards, you know, I'm a white woman and I might write something that was offensive to, to someone that isn't a white woman who might say, okay, did you not think about that? I didn't do it consciously but I was ignorant of it and that's not excusable but it's sort of understandable if you're not doing it consciously and so I think in the same way that that is happening with representation of women more broadly across the board but it really is just kind of an education piece to a certain extent it was very interesting you know we're slightly off topic but when I with my theatre company we did a production called Might Never Happen which was looking at sexual uh, sorry street harassment against women and girls and we took it to schools and colleges. But alongside the street harassment piece, we also looked at this idea of being a man and what that means. And we worked with a couple of PhD um, ladies who, who wrote these amazing pieces of work that it was based on. And worked with Durham University. And, and actually one of the things that was so interesting to come out of it, which speaks to that point, is that actually a lot of the time they did in-depth interviews with men and there was a lot of the time a discussion around using women's bodies as a way to bond with other men. So actually, if someone comes into a pub or a bar and says, check her out, it's not actually, and I'm saying that in the most polite way, but you imagine something very derogatory, which could be said, it's not even really about the woman. It's about the bond between the two men. It's actually one man saying to another, here's something we've got in common. You know, this is very on a very basic level, but it's actually, and that again, you can you could trace that back to, you know, men's socialization. How easy is it for men to bond with each other? And is it easier to bond over a woman and objectify a woman than it is to talk about the deep feelings that you're actually feeling? So there's a there's a whole heap wow. of stuff, but it's 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 all interlinked really with this. Wow, that's a whole slippery slope. I'm gonna get you back on. We can discuss all this. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. From your right. It's yeah, because I must admit it really gets my ire up. It's just mm, but uh yeah. yeah, okay. I'll I'll stay on program here. Good, good. <laughs> no, no, Sorry. no. It's, so I'm going uh, on it. You've just opened my eyes to a few other things too, though, that uh it's like Hmm. Okay, I'm gonna get back on that. Get back on that soapbox. <laughs> yeah, cool. Okay, you talk. You talk about restory. Can you explain that? I think that could well be of interest to women my age. Yeah. So again, it's it's looking at the narrative that you have around your sense of self, really, and what you think are the markers of success and a successful life, and if. If we continually as as human beings are saying, you know, once I get to this place, and I'm definitely guilty of this, like I am definitely guilty of this, probably on a daily basis. So that's why I can speak, speak about it with expertise. 
once I get to this place, I'm going to, everything's going to be great. And then I'll get to it. And then I go, oh, okay. It's not exactly how I thought, but there's another thing in the distance and I'll get there. And you, you know, this is a treadmill that I think a lot of us, a pattern that we're very familiar with. And if you have an idea about what the story of your life is going to be, and then you get there and it's not quite the same, that can really lead to the depths of despair, you know, in the, wor in the worst cases. And actually fostering resilience and trying to understand that actually the story is malleable. You can find different ways ahead. And you can also look back and restory the way you look at things. So for example, when I've been coaching and I've worked with people, talked about their relationship with money, for example, and you think about money and you think about what is money and have you had it? And you'll often get a narrative that is kind of, it's always been this way, it's always been this way. And actually it's something that my coach did with me originally, which was to ask, I have then asked other people to do, which is just to say, can you think a little bit more about when it has been good? Do you know? So just trying to highlight areas of your life that you don't necessarily, you don't necessarily think of it positively because you've got a narrative around it. You know, you've always been unlucky in love. Have you always been unlucky in love? Is that a hundred percent true? Or have you been sometimes unlucky in love and you've really, we've got this negativity bias in our brain, right? So we're drawn to that. And so it's about trying to, the phrase go with the flow is probably to underestimating it a little bit, but trying to step back from our brains love narrative and they love story and they love drama. It's, it would be no good to watch a drama of someone having a cup of tea because it's really boring, you know? <laughs> It's just our every day. If you made a film of my day to day, it would not get anybody paying money to go and see that in the cinema. But of course, we know what a good what makes a good story, and so we would we our brains are also like, oh come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, drama, drama, feed it, feed it. So it's trying to understand the patterns and then work back from there to see if you can, I say restory, but repattern your ways of thinking, which is not easy and it's a lot of work a lot of coaching or a lot of therapy or a lot of both in my case to try to do that work, but it definitely pays off. So do we include in Restory a whole new perhaps set of goals? So instead of being the perfect mom or the perfect wife, it's a matter of, you know, like I, I just want to know that, I don't know, <laughs> something simple has happened at the end of the day before I fall into bed exhausted. Yeah, the it's about it's about reshifting the focus, I think, rather than, you know, we live in a certain society, post-pandemic world is pretty full on. Um, and actually, you know, in terms of the way people are living now, I think it's about trying to take the smaller wins, as you say. So like what would be good at the end of the day? I'm not into massively into journaling. I know some people are. I, I don't really tend to do that, but I know it works for a lot of people doing a kind of gratitude journal and writing down what's good about their day, but also trying to not be so hard on ourselves. You know, the way we talk to ourselves in our brain is you wouldn't speak to a friend like that when you're in a negative mood, you know, and, and, the, and the brain is off. Just catching that and thinking, and not, again, you can get into a cycle because then if you start berating that, then you, you know, but if you're able to catch it and say, okay, that's be a bit curious about it. That's very interesting that my brain has started calling me an idiot or slow or just because I couldn't 
pay for the parking meter seems quite extreme do you know like just trying to be a little bit curious about it and also have a sense of humor about it to a certain extent and, and thinking of your brain as something you are not your brain you know your brain is doing the thing that brains do because it's a human brain but actually thinking oh, okay you're having one of those kind of days today are you brain okay let's see let's see I'll let you play out and I'll just get on with my day <laughs> do you mind me asking how you were able to restory your life yeah so I had so in 2018 I was in the midst of having a one-year-old we've already talked about the challenges of of motherhood so we won't go back there too much but I was really struggling and had a had a one-year-old and at the time things were not good with me and my and his dad um and we have since divorced um and we co-parent now so for me the idea of have not having that at the time, the idea of divorcing and being a single mum as I was, you know, for a bit, this idea of that was so awful to me because I probably had a lot of stigma around it, if I'm honest. I had some stuff around it myself because I thought it signified something. I now know, of course, it doesn't, but because I'm a human and my brain had caught that story. So actually, I had to do a lot of work around well, what does this mean? I had to rebuild. And, and from that, was able to, for the first time in my life, actually, because I worked in creative industry, so I earned no money, and I'd always been supported by a partner. That had just always been the way it was for me, and then suddenly there was that was gone. And that was so good for me, because at the time it did not feel good, but it meant I had to upskill quick. I had to upskill, I had to retrain, I had to do it in evenings and weekends, and part, you know, then in COVID as well. And I had to go for another sort of career and if that hadn't happened then that wouldn't have emerged so it's it's you know I watched an amazing TED talk I can't remember the name of the lady now but she says good or bad hard to say it's kind of if anyone's interested google good or bad hard to say TED talk and she talks about it's really difficult in the moment to you don't know whether something's good or bad you didn't get a job it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean that that's good or bad it's just the lens you're looking through so for me, you know, I things went that way. I, I essentially had a mental breakdown for sure. Like I was in a really bad place. It was processing a lot of stuff that was coming up for me at that time um, and lots of family things as well. And actually having the support, having therapy, having support from friends and realizing my resilience, I think is a really big one. And then being able to support other people now and to be able to help them to realize their resilience and to change things and to think, why did I have that narrative? And what did that narrative, what did I make that mean about me? Because a lot of the time you make things mean something about you based on your story. And it's trying to trying to untangle some of that stuff, which is not easy and it takes time and a lot of patience. But if you're able to support someone as I'm able to do when I coach women, it's the most beautiful thing because you can see them start to really realize that their 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 stories are getting in the way of the possibilities for them, and also not measuring success in the traditional way is another is another thing to start to think about. It's not necessarily that you earn seven figures, you know. That's not that's not the only measure of success. Like, how do you feel after? a day with your kid where you had a laugh together do you know like it's trying to just try and see things a little bit looser I suppose and I'm just going to add too that perhaps it's really important to remember 
and and maybe this is where journaling does come in handy to, to remember what the success that you've had in recreating something so that if if something hard happens again it's like okay I'm not happy about this but I've done it before and I came out the other side yeah exactly and whether that's journaling whether it's voice noting yourself whether it's talking to a coach about it whether it's a community whatever it might be it's it's recording it as you say I think it's really key to actually really say okay where what happened that that what is this like that's happened before as well you know trying to see how you've overcome stuff in the past okay so I was really interested in having you on podcasts for a couple of reasons <laughs> and even apparently there's a few more now that we haven't gotten into um but the audience <laughs> is mostly mid-age women many of them are in a place where they can actually create their own next chapter but they're not sure how to proceed uh the options never been available to them before what do you say to them i would say look to the stories that light you up so that might be other women or, or other men, um, other people that are inspiring to you. But also I do a lot of work when I'm working with clients around their the stories that they're drawn to. And if you are one of the, which I've got a workbook on my website, which people can download for free. And that talks you through a process actually of thinking of the stories that you loved growing up, for example, like what were those stories? the really exciting ones, the ones that made you light up or even stories that you listen to now, you know, whether it's a book that you've read and thinking about what is it in those stories? What are the values in those stories that you're drawn to? Once you can draw down the values, then you can find where those, it's likely that those pieces of you are really, really key in terms of your next moves, in terms of what you might do next. So I'll give you an example when I first started doing some story work, I looked at the books that uh, there was a book that really that really lit me up. Um, and the word that came out of it was looking around safety, around feeling safe. And actually, when there's a there's a, if you start doing the work around what stories your creative mind mind loves, that will often lead to the practical answers that you need. So how are there other ways in my life that I can feel safe? Where are the areas of my life where I can work on that part of myself to give it more space and more time to breathe? Our creative brain is very different from, you know, the chatter, the negative chatter. And once you are able to allow creativity and once you're able to invite your brain to tell you the stories it loves, it will often have the answers for you. So it's really trying to be playful and then starting to think, OK, what is missing and how can stories that I love help to inform that well that was food for thought because as you were saying that I was thinking back what stories and all of the stories focused on a strong woman character lead so yeah yeah it's super interesting and you start to think well what tv shows was I drawn to or you know for me I don't know if you know Roald Dahl but I loved Matilda the book the book from Roald Dahl and that was all about this well, she would be described as kind of precocious little girl. Um, and I remember in those days, the idea of a little girl being a protagonist even was, you, you just rarely had them. It was very rare that a girl would be, you know. And so I started to get in touch with, okay, what's that feeling when I, when I think back at those stories? And it felt 
sort of dangerous when I think of the stories I liked that have female protagonists and it felt exciting and it felt scary because at that time there weren't women leading in that in those stories it was very rare to find women doing cool things and leading a story and so then you start to dig into like what 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 are those things now how do they play out in my life now am I still seeking things that are slightly scary and that are slightly um exciting and you know it's all of that work is is very interesting and you'll often see threads that will lead lead you to something once you start doing that work what were what were yours they were they were all women who were was it mainly women women? like right back from like early days of nancy drew (laughs) all right and i'm just thinking i'd get into series all that sort yeah it was always about that strong woman moving forward through the world (laughs) yes now the other part of being this age is you know we have daughters and granddaughters watching us like we we've become that role model example is, is that a good thing or is it sort of uh you know just a scary thing <laughs> I don't know I think it kind of depends on on how you approach it you know I'm a big fan of stepping into the vulnerability space of saying like I don't really know what I'm doing if I don't know what I'm doing and actually I think there's so much power in younger generations hearing us say I don't know (laughs) what do you think (laughs) you know and actually um and I think again it speaks to this this idea that we need to know everything we need to be everything we need to have all the answers be the best mum best person in business best partner whatever it might be that actually just to allow yourself to and it's quite relaxing when you do allow yourself to be ignorant about things and once you can model ignorance really truthfully and and earnestly um to younger generations then I think that's really powerful because I think it shows it's quite hard I think because I think again culturally it really depends on what era you grew up in and I certainly notice a difference depending on the age of people and where they're coming from and their background and things like that especially if you didn't grow up you know this generation well this generation now I think have grown up with mental health being a part of the narrative since forever whereas that was not a thing you know when I was younger maybe when you were younger you know the idea of someone being in therapy was like well they're mad you know it there was so much stigma to it and so I think there will be equivalent things like that for young people now and it's just trying to tap into those conversations that might be more difficult that maybe we might find easier but things that might be more difficult for them to talk about and getting them to open up and just being vulnerable and and I guess sharing the stories that didn't always work out perfectly you know there are I had I had a conversation with some younger people very recently I was giving a talk and it was really interesting because all of the stories that they had about their future they were all, all very traditional and lovely and nothing wrong with that at all. But it was interesting being a little bit older and thinking, you know, you don't get too, I did sort of say, don't get too attached to a specific narrative. You can't really tell anyone because they don't really want to listen, but it's, it's, you can see it's, it's kind of universal. I think we've been doing it forever. (laughs) You're giving me all these great food for thought bits. And uh, I just realized too, that there's a certain, I don't know if it's power but just 
makes it easier to be a little fallible. So there's times when it's like, okay, this is what I want to do. And then you go like, okay, like sleep on it. And I have great respect for my children. So to, to say, okay, this is what's come up. I'm thinking this, what, what's your view on that? You know, so just. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just backing it back and being open enough to say you don't know or that you're wrong. That's, that's, you know, that's really powerful. I think of just saying, oh, I completely balls that up. I don't know what I'm talking about is actually there's a lot of strength in that, you know, the sort of power of vulnerability stuff, all kind of Brené Brown type, um, which I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with. But that kind of approach, I think, goes such a long way towards making people feel safe, actually. You know, we talked about safety earlier, to feel safe in their own inverted commas failures, which of course aren't failures, they're just life. Okay, um, some mid-aged women, they know they're stuck. They know they need to recreate that, but it's like they actually they, they they know they need to do something different. They don't understand about restory. Let's put it that way. Where do they mm-hmm. start? I guess listening to this podcast. <laughs> Listen to this podcast. I would really advise. I think there's a lot to be said for things like coaching things like therapy you know obviously I'm a coach so I know about that stuff but also I've been in therapy for years I think starting with yourself and maybe returning to a version of yourself that you've lost and I think creativity can really really help with that so thinking about any creative pursuits that you had when you were younger that lit you up that that fired a part of you that were exciting writing a story and even, you know, writing a story about your life or imagining what your life could be like in five years to think what could happen in the next five years and make it extravagant, make it make it extraordinary. Just write crazy stuff down that you think that actually would be amazing. And then if you're, there's a lot of um, stuff around perfectionism and creation, right? So people worry that the, 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 they've written a stupid story. Just get just burn it do a little ritual have a you know just burn it throw it away it doesn't matter but just get some stuff out and one of the exercises I do with people is you might be familiar with morning pages so when you wake up first thing in the morning before you've done there's lots of different ways to do morning pages but before you've done anything pen and paper by the side of your bed literally as soon as you're conscious you don't take a sip of water nothing grab the pen and paper and write and keep writing. It won't make sense probably because you're half awake, half asleep. If you run out of words, just write, I am writing, I am writing, I am writing. It's kind of automatic writing. So you don't have to think, oh, I've run out of words, I have to stop. If you run out of words, keep writing, I am writing. Um, and set an alarm for, it doesn't even have to be long, 15 minutes, 10 minutes to begin with, even five minutes to begin with. Just start writing some stuff out and see what your subconscious has got to say because usually your brain knows a lot more on a subconscious level than it does on a conscious level so it's trying to tap into that whether it's through creativity writing artwork now I'm a big I'm a big advocate of play to in order to try to unlock and I think especially when you do get locked whatever stage of life you are being able to play again and to have fun you know things are very heavy for a lot of people at the moment and actually how can you have fun go dancing 
see a friend and do something you haven't done for a really long time just to inject some vitality to help you to start to unstick two thoughts is first of all and i'll just this last one is just you know we can think about the last time we actually had a really fall down good belly laugh about something with somebody for sure for sure uh, yeah that's crazy and now that I've put that in the air, I'm not going to remember the first one. You're <laughs> oh, thinking about that, that very yeah, long. Exactly. <laughs> uh, the other thing you talked about, you know, creating this new story that could be wild, it could be totally crazy. But it, we've talked about the power of the brain. As you write or re- read what you've written, is it possible that the brain's going to go like, hmm, I kind of like that idea. And it'll just stay yeah, there, stay there. Yeah. Yeah. And you may choose to begin with to not even reread it because sometimes you write these things and you think, uh, and the critical brain will come in and say, that's a load of old rubbish. So, but equally, you'll know, you'll know in your body when there's a kernel of something interesting. It could be a story about like a frog, it doesn't have to be about anything deep. But actually, when there's something, There'll be something hidden in that story about the frog. Even if it is, it's that you might read it to begin with and think, oh, that doesn't make any sense at all. But if you're writing something and if you're creating, there will be something in there, whether it is just a sense, more of a sense of play, or whether it's that actually the frog goes on an adventure and what does the frog do in the adventure? It's a bit like dreams in that, you know, often your your people in dreams the characters that you're dreaming about are you right so you'll often dream as another person or you'll dream that something's happening to someone else and then it's like okay that's because that's happening in my life so it's trying to um let it come and if there feels like something in your gut that thinks huh that was a different morning pages today maybe just put that one to one side and but the, the other ones, you can throw them in the bin. You can do whatever you want with them. Maybe if there's one that's like, oh, that was actually fun. This is the key. You know, I think it's really trying to tap into the fun and the joy because there's nothing, there's nothing better than creating something for the joy of creating it. And that will lead to self-development. There's so much emphasis now on self-development. And I say this as a coach, so I'm fully aware that I'm in that sphere but I think there's so much emphasis on self-development. You can end up going so far at your own bum, if you excuse my my, <laughs> my phraseology, that actually you it, it gets to be heavy. And there's something about creation that is lighter and that is not so uh, navel-gazing, really, that you just put it all out there, draw something, make something, craft something. And have a physical thing that you've made to help you process some of the big feelings and changes that you might be about to embark on. Okay, I'm going to go slightly sideways here. We we touched on it briefly, but I want to go one step deeper. I heard you speak about your son not wanting to watch a show with you because there were no boys. For generations, the girls who have been in stories um, and movies have been pretty generic. And I'm not going to get into skin color, cultural shortcomings. That's a Here's a third podcast for us. Um, But girls and women in media are usually slender. They're beautiful. They're able to run in high heels. Or if they can't run in high heels, they'll depend on the hero to save them. 
Um, we're just starting to see more female heroes, but it's pretty recent. How do we counteract what our girls see in movies and graphic novels? That's a really great question. Being selective to a certain extent about what you're consuming in front of them um, and what you're giving them to consume. So if it's a little one, then obviously thinking about looking up on, on websites, kind of alternative narratives. Having said that, I did an awful lot of that. And I've basically raised a thug without meaning to. <laughs> he's, he's, he's full on. I mean, that I'm, I've done so much work around, come on, you, know, you have to understand that it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. And he, he's blowing things up, throwing things. I'll say, do you want to talk about your feelings? Nope. Um, so there is also an element of nature nurture about this, right? But in terms of the stories, I think pro providing alternatives, even if they reject the alternatives, that they're there on the bookshelf, that it's actually like, do you know what? Yeah, fine. You don't pick up that book that I really want you to pick up and read, but it's there. And also talking about, you know, my little one's seven, so talking I talked to him about sexism which is in itself quite a funny conversation to have with a seven-year-old um for example when I saw that that what you're referring to when we watched that video um he he said it's sexist which is really interesting because he knew it was about equality and about um I often say you know it's about equal having equal numbers but it's also about the things that the that they're doing so I tried to, I've tried to explain to him and of course he sees this majority you know female and and he's just like that is sexist and I thought ah right the nuance how do I uh how do I explain that actually you know, it's a countering a societal I just thought nah don't don't worry about it. just get a company um but yeah I think it's having availability to those kinds of stories and also making if you feel confident if you feel confident to create something even if they're small things telling the stories, amplifying the voices of women that are doing different sorts of things that have got different stories. There's amazing books now, but there's, I saw at the weekend, um, the new Spider-Man film, the Into the Spider-Verse, the second one, right? So Beyond the Spider-Verse. And the representation of women in that was amazing. It was so, they were just, there was no, it felt like there was no barrier and the stereotypes just weren't there. And it was just brilliant. And I thought, gosh, this is very, very different. So things are definitely shifting and changing. Um, and it's really just highlighting the questions around what are the women doing? I think is a really good one because it might be there's equal numbers, but you know, what are the women actually doing? And I don't know if you've heard of the Betchdale test. That's a test so it, it was um i'm not sure if i'm pronouncing the name right but alison bechdel bechdel um who is actually was a comic book writer so she started this test which is basically when you're watching a film if there are two women in it that have a conversation about something other than a man then it passes the bechdel test right so you'd think that's easy there are so many films that don't pass that test and so many films that don't pass it now, you know, as well being made. None of the Lord of the Rings trilogies pass it. You know, there's there's a bunch of imitation game. You know, I talk about this in in a little sort of podcast um, that I've that I've got on my website, my mailing list. But there are a lot of 
stories that don't pass that. And that's a bit of a shock in 2023 where you think, gosh, okay, you would think that we've got to a stage where actually women were leading a narrative. But it is certainly better, but it's having an awareness, I think, more than anything. That's interesting too. I'm trying to present alternatives. Yeah, because yeah. I, I think for me it was always more about the, the storyline where the, the the man was always the hero um, and then just the visuals of this woman with an 18 inch waistline and 42 inch chest you know um, right just... yeah and it's so it's so interesting as well and I think back to I don't know if you ever saw the film who framed Roger Rabbit Tempo, with yeah. um it was the Danny DeVito film but cartoons it was one of the first films they had like cartoons mixing with humans and there's Jessica Rabbit who was a human and she had you know a massive um, boobs, tiny waist. She was cartoon, she was drawn. And I remember being younger, I was absolutely obsessed with her. I was really drawn to her. I thought she was amazing. And it, and I remember my mum actually saying at the time, like, that's not good. And I remember thinking, I didn't know what she was talking I had no idea what she was talking about. She has, you know, this this character is so sexualized. You know, the slit goes up to the legs she's got the, anyone listening that's seen it will know she's you know just google jessica rabbit and you'll see what i mean massive lips and it's all very it's all kind of pornographic really um but it's very interesting that i'd never understood why i was so drawn to her because i thought she was amazing now of course i can now see it's because she had power she had a huge amount of power but her power was through her sexuality but at the time you don't necessarily you don't necessarily make the two. I just saw her as a female character with power. Now, the problem is when those two things are always interlinked, when we always see sexuality for women linked with power, then that kind of fuses that brain story. So then every time, then it's it's about trying to think, okay, what are the stories now where the woman is powerful and not conventionally sexy, sexy sexualized in that way? Um but it's it's again it's noticing these things and even as an as an adult kind of thinking to myself gosh I'll watch some things now and think oh I can feel I'm really drawn to that character she's like femme fatale you know a sexy woman or whatever there's nothing wrong with that but there's, she's not bringing anything else to the table but because she's got that then I'm I'm really drawn to it and it's kind of thinking okay that's interesting that's because of what we grew up with the stories we grew up with so much to unpack. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a whole other podcast. Oh, dear. Okay. It's today. You've talked about morning. What is it? Morning. Morning pages. Morning pages. Uh, anything else that our listeners can do today to start thinking about their own life story, to move it forward, to restory? So thinking about the morning, doing the morning pages, thinking about their current stories about who they are, and even writing sentences of, you know, I am a mother, or I am a wife, or I am a business owner, or whatever it might be, and writing them down, and then trying to think, okay, what am I missing? What have I missed here? Like, these are obviously key stories. These are key things that I see myself as. What else am I? Am I a friend? Am I a carer? Am I something else? else because often even now look at the list of the things I just listed they're literally so so sort of stereotypically female right I've gone friend carer mother wife yeah I said business owner but that's in my brain that wiring and I've just gone straight there so it's actually thinking what else am I are there other things that I am that I'm missing that I can start to play with and to have fun with so it may not be 
you know that it's it's anything massive but where's my where is my strength where is so I've recently well in the last few years started weightlifting and actually like that was something that had a real stigma around it right women lifting weights you're going to get too bulky um and this idea of too bulky is really interesting as well because why don't we want to get bulky you know that's again we won't go into all of that but you know, things like that have been like, where can I be strong or, and it doesn't have to be physically strong, but where is my strength that isn't necessarily the stereotypical things I think of myself or the things that we think women should be? You know, this idea that we are always um, kind, which I'm just like, <laughs> I don't think that's helpful because I'm definitely not always kind. Sometimes, you know, I can be a real dick when I want to be. So it's actually just, just thinking like but how do I feel when I'm not it's the people pleasing stuff you know and trying to unpack that and think well what other things am I or what other things have I been in the past or what other things would I like to be I'm writing them down as factual statements I am this I just am and then as you start to repeat these statements to yourself thinking okay how can I start embodying that in small ways in my life how can I start to live those little tiny tweaks in my life where I can play with a sense of different sense of self and a different sense of the story of who I am. I've talked about our daughters and our granddaughters, um, but I'm so impressed with like all you're just t- triggering all these thoughts in my head, but to take it the other way to That's recognize good. what wasn't the traditional woman in perhaps our mothers. So for example, you may appreciate this, during the Second World War, uh, or when Second World War broke out, my mother was a wardress at Holloway Prison. So, you know, that's right. not a wow. very girly, girly job. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, so uh, yeah. and to really go like, okay, like, I wasn't really brought up totally girly, girly, yeah. girly in traditional. What must that have Different been at like? that point in time. She's, she saw a documentary yeah. about Holloway, I think, during the 80s sometimes. sometimes and she was horrified because in her day, like pre-World War II, um, often the women were sex trade workers who had such a hard life yeah. that they would actually let themselves get caught so they could have a bunk, a shower, some food. So they'd stay in for a week and then be gone again. So a totally different yeah. lifestyle. But still, you know, during blackout, they had to unlock all the uh, all the cells that sort of thing um... yeah 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 and I think you know again this is a slight tangent but there are so many women that are in in the prison systems that are Mm -hmm. that are either survivors or you know running from domestic abuse situations I mean the statistics I don't have them to hand but they are they're shocking in terms of the women's experiences women in prisons but there's so yeah it's interesting to to trace it back and to think where where have different things come into play with your family lineage and what's been passed down to you and how you're passing other things down, you know, is definitely something to explore. And again, just explore lightly, you know, stop playing with, because you can go down these rabbit holes, then it can get a bit heavy. <laughs> Life is all about rabbit holes. I say that to myself so many exactly. times a day. Don't go down that rabbit hole. Okay. <laughs> um, is there anything we haven't talked about that you think mid-aged women should think about? what's next that's it just what's next yeah just just think about what the next thing is and and if if there's a way that you can 
open up your mind to something new and exciting, then do that for sure. Yes. So I think just the question of what's next and who are the people in your life that can help you to get to the next bit? I think that's really key. I think community is really key. I think women and community is really key um, because there's a shared understanding. Um, and I think just find your tribe, find the people that lift you up, that you can lift up Um do the work on yourself, but try to make it not too heavy. Try to play with it and try to be kind to yourself as much as possible. We all have those days where we down on ourselves, but actually that curiosity and understanding, you know, is something that's definitely worth. When you notice something in your body as well, that tells you something, it's about trying to get in touch with your body and thinking, hmm, that's an interesting reaction. One very quick story is that I recently found out I'm autistic so I was recently diagnosed as, as autistic and funnily enough when I started um listening to podcasts and things around autism um I got really angry really angry women talking about being autistic and I can feel in my body I was like they're not autistic because it was sparked in something in me because they were describing my lived experience and I didn't think I was neurodivergent I had no I had no clue but obviously I noticed in myself, I thought, hmm, that's a really interesting reaction, Amy. Why are you annoyed? Like, what on earth has happened there? Because that's just someone talking about their experience. Then, of course, you know, I dug into it and I realised that I got the diagnosis and all of that stuff. Because, again, it manifests very, very differently in women than it does in men. It's one of those um, one of those things that um, we think of it as the kind of rain man stereotype, and it's very much not that, um, particularly for women socialized as females. So, so I think it's just noticing those moments where you're like, oh, I'm I'm very angry, or I'm an anger is an interesting one for women as well, right? So allowing those moments, thinking, ah, huh, okay, something's obviously going in there on there. Maybe I'll make a note. Maybe I'll come back to it. But just being curious around all those big feelings and not banning any that seem unsavory or uncouth or unladylike I think and the one word that came to mind there as you were explaining your own neurodivergence is just the fact that it is a spectrum (laughs) yeah absolutely and there'll be probably people listening to this podcast who may may have had late diagnoses or may be suspecting that they are neurodivergent or um, and actually, it's very interesting because in your generation, that was never, never, it was very rarely a thing. It was always kind of if it was someone that was nonverbal or someone that was quite kind of extreme in the way that they outwardly showed it. So to start to think about those things, you know, often they run in families and you think, OK, if people now who are younger are realising that they are. I've had some really interesting conversations with my mum where I've said, hmm, <laughs> you know, I wonder if, you know, it's very interesting as you start to, but that's breeding again, a kindness to self to be like, okay, that's why sometimes some things might be difficult for me because my mind operates in this way. And it's the same as the story stuff. I've been fed a narrative or I've picked up a narrative. That's cool. Maybe it serves me. Maybe it doesn't. Let's see. Okay. So now I have to go that place that you've just really made me want to go you coach you're amazing you're coach so tell us about that yeah so I coach so I coach women looking at their life story looking at 
where they're at in their life. They might feel stuck. They, there's no criteria really, except that they want to make some changes. And I work with women to make tangible goals. So it's some of the talking around stuff, but a lot of it is like, what are we going to do? Because actually therapy is much more kind of looking back, I suppose, broadly speaking, and coaching is present. Definitely some looking back, you have to acknowledge the back in order to go forward, but also like, what's next? Like, what can we do? Like, what's the action plan for the next week until I see you again? You know, what's the next thing that you're going to be doing that's going to light you up or that's going to get stuff done? Or, you know, it might, it doesn't always have to be exciting. It might literally be just can't get to this thing. Okay, why not? What's blocking you? So I coach women um, and work with them one-to-one. I do a lot of work around creativity and I love that work and I love seeing the change and I love seeing if someone starts it's those aha moments that I live for where you see someone go oh right okay I'm onto it now once they're onto it once they're onto their brain and the stories they've got it's beautiful because they start to change and develop and grow so yes I do I do that now you mentioned your workbook (laughs) what is her story workbook So the workbook is on my website um, and you can download that. And that talks you through step by step. One one of the exercises that I mentioned earlier, which is looking at the stories that light you up and you can, it's in two parts uh, if you sign up for it, just so it's a bit more easy for the brain to digest. They're both quite short. Um, You'd be pleased to hear, but you can sit down with a, with a cup of tea and work through it and actually start to think where it, it helps you bring out something called a story key which is that word, is that thing that you have been drawn to um, in the stories that you've loved. And it's a good book, a good workbook, because you can do it again and again with different stories and it will come up with different things. Um, So I definitely recommend people do that. It's completely free. And then at the end of my, I also have on an email that comes through a little webinar, which is like a 15 minute cup of tea break webinar, a little bit more about some of the stuff we've talked about today. So the Bechdel test and talking about women and story and, things like imposter syndrome and boundaries and um so definitely sign up to my mailing list and you will get that through and I'm also on Instagram if anyone's on Instagram okay. I'm not on any of the others yeah Instagram's the only one I'm on <laughs> I can't do any more exhausting social media oh, dear. okay before we close I read on your website but with women holding only 30 percent of management roles in the UK how do you empower junior staff members to be the change they cannot see? Should we be taking this opportunity? Now I say we, as in my generation of women, to we take this opportunity to be the change that your generation of women should be seeing. Yes, I think so. And I think you probably already are to a certain extent. I think it's, I think it's allowing yourselves out to take up space there are certain tropes around age and women in particular and actually there are certain stereotypes that are playing out all the time and actually to try to take up a bit of space by letting your stories be heard and your experience to reach younger people and to try to find commonality as well because there will be a lot of differences, but there'll be so many commonalities that we we lose because the media, again, feeds us the story that we're all so different because we, you know, Gen Z this, you know, everyone's got kind of a label. And those labels can be really helpful, but they can also really serve to move us apart from each other. So I think 
as much as possible telling those stories that are unconventional or that are again might seem a bit unsavory or might to actually just to try to say you know there's lots of different parts of self we're all multifaceted and to to allow that out and allow that change to be seen and demonstrate it as well i love when you see someone in uh you know in their sort of second or third careers or fourth careers or fifth it's so inspiring to think oh my gosh you've done that that's so cool like we live a lot longer than we thought when we used to live right so it's like really filling that time and thinking oh, I've still got all my faculties why shouldn't I start weightlifting why shouldn't I start a class why shouldn't I start a business I think there's something really inspiring about seeing that especially as women you know I'm now 40 and you know as you start to come out of that younger bracket and you think okay well who are my role models now like where where are they and what are they doing there's definitely a lot of space for that but it's about speaking up and it's taking space and that's something as women we're not very familiar with doing a lot of the time but just pouring yourself into it even though it doesn't feel comfortable I think is is something to get used to because it's very empowering for others and for yourself I think and if you want to be empowered please stay tuned to the boomer women's podcast (laughs) exactly that's what we're doing right now where do we find you on the world wide web so it's www.amyubank.com. Very simple. My name. My name is spelled E W B A N K. And Instagram is amyubank underscore. But hopefully you can put in the notes in case um, I'm not very good with the. When I'm listening, I can't always remember what, how people spell things out. So. <laughs> No, that's great. Your website link is always in the show notes. And then you'll have a page at the website. You do have a page at the website. And all the links are in there. And I'll probably include a few other links that you've mentioned today. Um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that'd be great. great. Listeners, if you have thoughts on today's show, please talk to us. Leave comments where you're listening. Or if you're listening at the Boomer Woman's podcast at boomwithabang.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and talk to us there. Leave stars and reviews where you can. They help us grow. Share this episode. Many of you are considering the next chapter, what it's going to look like. So are your friends. I can vouch for the fact that it's so empowering to know you're in the driver's seat of your own life. And if you're in the driver's seat, if you make a wrong turn, you stop the car, go somewhere else. It's a great feeling. And I would suggest downloading Amy's workbook. It might be a really good place to start. And don't forget a younger woman in your life may be watching. (laughs) Amy Eubank, thank you for being my guest today and giving us so much food for thought. You're so welcome. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks to listeners for listening. And have a great rest of week. Thank you. Take care.